0: This week's episode of The Cool Room is brought to you by
1: The Two Ring Circus Show, a weekly podcast in which two best friends unravel the existential mysteries of our world with
0: expletives. With episode titles like Crampations or Peanut Butter Tangents, Switchin' Horses Midstream or The Least Neurotic Do, and Angelina, Upsaging
1: and Victimless Crime or We Don't Get to Be Anywhere Without History, there's bound to be something to tickle your fancy. As two rings of the same circus, Matt Bradshaw and Dom Italiano convene once a week to discuss everything from the banal to the substantial. That's better. Music, movies, animal puns and the vagaries of our shared human existence. That's the Two Ring Circus Show. Find us on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, plus the video version on YouTube every Thursday. Hello and you're in the call room. Uh, It's your host David Griffiths here uh, welcoming you to another edition. We're gonna have a great chat with Sam Ludeman and Sam Russell in a few moments time. But joining me in the call cool room, as he does in the middle of the week, is my good friend Travis Bristow. Travis, how you going, mate? Going well, David. How are you? Good, good, good. Just you know, as you noted on the zoom, I'm living in a world full of cardboard boxes, some of which contain beer
0: and some of which used to contain beer. So Yes, that's, um, that's a decent pile there behind you at the moment. Indicative of
1: the fact that we've got
0: lots of fun
1: home deliveries going on at the moment to accompany our tastings. Uh, we have Ale Farm and Nomad on Thursday night of this week, which will be May the 21st. But if you missed out on any of the previous ones, we've got some tasting packs that you can still get uh, from Venom and from Bonehead and from Lacerine, who were last week. Uh, so you can listen to the podcasts with the virtual meet the v- brewers and enjoy those beers while we do it. But this week's going to be pretty gross, I reckon,
0: mate. It is. It's, uh, it's looking like it's going to be quite impressive in, uh, in comparison to everything we've done to date. Um, having two locations coming on board is going to uh, be quite fun.
1: Yes, I'm just a little bit intimidated by what happened, given that they're both sort of outside of Melbourne, Victoria. We have Brooks from Nomad in New South Wales and um, Casper joining us from Denmark. So I hope your Danish is good.
0: Yeah, it's going to be i don't think my danish is that good actually um,
1: (laughs) i think his english is uh, as we will discover on the night his english will be more than capable for for reasons that will become clear on the night more than capable of uh, handling that but we had a fun video today as well sent through in connection with that one
0: we did uh from joel which is um uh, currently live on the facebook page i believe um at the end of this episode's podcast we will take that audio and uh, put it on the end for everyone that um, isn't on Facebook to have a listen to, because it's quite, uh, quite an interesting little video. Um, yeah, he's the, he's the brewmaster over at Rogue for those people who
1: don't know. So
0: perhaps our highest
1: profile guest yet.
0: Yeah. Or do you I'd, like to classify
1: yourself as the higher profile guest.
0: No, nah, I reckon, I reckon the head brewmaster from Rogue probably, uh, probably stumps me. <laughs> I think it probably, probably stumps everyone. We do love all of our guests. It's not, we, don't we don't sort of, Rank them publicly. Uh, today's guests probably even stump me though. Um, I I think they've, they've probably got far more followers on the social medias than I do. So I think that I think everyone automatically stumps me. Yeah, I think everyone has more than
1: that for me. So you encountered these guys in your travels through the pub world in, in Melbourne, didn't
0: you? Uh, yes, definitely did. But um, I've also known these gentlemen since I was a teenager. So we all, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about this deeper in the podcast, but we all uh, grew up in Shepparton and, uh, they went on to bigger and better things while the rest of us sort of potted around and do podcasts for a living. (laughs) For a living? Are you making money out of this? I'm I'm not not really making any money at the moment. (laughs) No, no, that feeling. If you'd like like an empty cardboard box to live in, I've got a wide selection of them for you. I've got a couple sitting in the garage too, which I won't be able to turn into something, um, (laughs) most of which have come from your place. So...
1: Well, look, let's wrap up our little uh, introduction there. We'll get on to the interview with the Sams in a second. Uh, come and join us for one of the virtual Meet the Brewers. And if you haven't already followed us on Instagram and on uh, Facebook, do so. That's how you can find out about all of the fun events and all of the fun beers that accompany our virtual live events. <music>
2: A bar on a cool evening
1: underneath the stars and we'll find okay well as predicted 15 minutes ago in real time but 10 seconds ago in podcast time uh Travis we're joined now by Sam Sam but different Sam Luderman and Sam Russell welcome to the podcast guys okay guys
3: happy hey. to be here awesome, Excellent.
1: Thanks guys. we um we always like to sort of give people a bit of an opportunity to share their social media and so forth tags right at the very start so that people who want to follow don't have to search through the whole podcast for them. So even before we get you to introduce yourselves, where can we find you and where can listeners find you online?
3: So if you want to find us on Instagram or Facebook, it's Sam Sam, but different band. Or if you look at our YouTube channel, it's just youtube.com slash Sam Sam, but different.
1: That's nice and simple. You clearly thought about these things before you started to uh, to roll them out. Not
3: my first radio.
1: (laughs) I, um, I feel like it's a bit like country hour today between we've got Shepparton calling in, we've got, uh, where we? it's going to be confusing if I keep asking, Sam, where are you today? in
0: Bahama. I'll pretend I'm in
1: Bendigo just for old times sake. <laughs> Why not? Fred, you're I mean, uh, in Shepp as well?
0: Uh, am I in? Uh, I wish I was, no, I don't wish I was in Shepp. I'm still in Yarraville, which is, uh, my in-ceiling windows tell me it's about the rain, so we should uh, be Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
1: if we could get a bit of an update on lamb prices or, you know, yearly sales or something that'd be, you know, barley prices or is that too soon on that front? At the moment?
0: Might be a bit too soon.
1: <laughs> Trevor, why don't you kick us off with some traditional cool room questions?
0: Most certainly can. Okay. So as David said, welcome guys. It's uh, it's really good to have you, you guys here. Um, obviously from a, from a distance and, uh, Know, the weird, world we live in, we're doing everything via assume these days. So first off, give us a bit of a, uh, bit of an intro into the two of you. How did, uh, how did the Sam Sam, but different thing come in play? And then from there, I will kick us off into our regular questions.
2: Cool. That's been a long time, isn't it Russ? Um, well, as you can
3: take this one, if you like,
2: <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, we met in grade six. Um, when I went to move from Machuca to Shepparton and went to Boucher street, but we only, that was just a meeting. We really became mate getting to music. Uh, when we did a Shepparton theater arts group stag show, um, and, uh, I remember Russ played the guitar and, um, I got jealous and, um, I kind of wanted to start a band with him and he was like, nah, not really. <laughs> I went away and learned all these songs and we kind of our friendship kind of Kindled through that, um, I know Russ likes me using that. <laughs> Kindled through, um, that, that time. And then, um, we started gigging, I think we were 17 and we played at Flanagan's was our very first gig in Shepparton.
0: So for those that don't know, Flanagan's is the, the typical oh, Irish pub yeah. in Shepparton. It's, um, it's where we all used to hang out, isn't it? It's kind of yeah. a bit of I, I, I can't even remember the last time I went into Flanagan's. Nah, me either. neither.
3: Neither. I I went from metal Irish. Irish. <laughs> oh, Irish in inverted commas.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you guys have just answered one of the first questions in relation to you know the the first gig that you guys obviously remember playing was Flanagan's in Shepperton. Hmm. Um, do you remember how? Old, were you seventeen or were you eighteen at that point? We were underage. I swear did you (laughs) so this will tie us into one of our other questions did you end up having a drink that night or was it off completely off limits
2: well we actually got
3: free drinks even from that age we couldn't understand how that worked and that's why we were so appealed to the industry we're like "Whoa, this is a this is a crazy place to be if you're 17 and you can drink in pubs
0: Mm oh yeah i don't think i was drinking in funnigans at 17 but i mean i'm a a little bit older than you guys so (laughs) um so you guys obviously uh, from there, from sort of the 17 mark and Flanagan's in and you know, eventually found your way down to Melbourne, sort of post-stag era, I guess. And, um, you know, got yourselves into a position where you were gigging quite regularly um, around the place. Do you guys have like a favourite venue in Melbourne or sort of surrounding area that you, uh, you like gigging in the most?
3: Hmm. I mean... I'd probably have a couple of favorites for for different reasons i think one favorite in terms of the decor and how it's set up uh, would have to be the garden state hotel uh, we did a gig there where we supported the veronicas last year and they've got this wicked like multi-level outside beer garden that like certain sections look over other sections and the stage is right in the middle and you can watch the stage from below it or above it on little mezzanine levels it's just an epic setup and i had a really fun gig there so i'd say that's probably my favorite
0: yeah. What about you, Ludeman? is it the same answer or? No, nah,
2: no. Nah. Like, wanna? We've got a couple of residencies, and just in terms of the crowd on a Saturday night, it's like a lot of work and a lot of energy. But we played the precinct hotel in Richmond. Oh, well, we used to on Saturdays, <laughs> um, and hopefully one day again. But um, yeah. That crowd there is so much fun. Yeah, it's yeah, just true. You know, they they go off, and it's a really loud sound system, which you don't get in many pubs these days. Like it's we can't even push it to its limits, and that's that's pretty big of us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, I, uh, I feel like the last time I saw you guys perform in a pub would have been in South Melbourne at the Albion, maybe. Which, yeah. Which, yep. yeah also so that not would have a been. Venue that would have been like a Sunday afternoon. So I don't know if, to, if we've spoken about this, David, but that used to be the market hotel back in the day before it, um, burnt down. Yeah. I think is, but yeah. it's by
1: fire.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and obviously you guys have performed a bit, not only in Melbourne, but you know, interstate as well as overseas. It, uh, do you have a sort of favorite place overseas where, you know, do you have something that sticks in your mind?
2: Yeah, we had these trips that we did um, with uh, one of our band's arrangements. It was like we f- went over first as a nine-piece, then we went back for four years. Was it Russ or five years in a row to I think we Malaysia. did five in the end. Yeah, Kuala Lumpur, and we'd always turn it into. It was like it was like this gig mm. that was locked in every year. But then we, it's kind of was a band bonding experience, like we went on, we went to Lane Cowie, this little Island each year and it was a good little time for our band to kind of become closer as well as the gig being really fun. So it was like this little once a year holiday for us all. And I used to really like that. Um, yeah.
0: I always, uh, I remember seeing some of your photos from those gigs when you were over in KL and Facebook and that, and it, and you know normally i'd be sitting in the office in front of the computer wishing i was over there as well um it always yeah. look always looks pretty impressive
2: yeah um, we're going to waterfalls and riding the motorbikes around it's so much fun riding
3: motorbikes on beaches
2: <laughs> yeah
0: some things. Yeah, that sort of stuff yep <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah better than sitting at uh sitting at a desk pretty much mm. so in relation to the the final of the traditional questions and then I'll uh, and I'll hand back to David to ask a few things, so he doesn't uh, feel left out of our little catch up here. Um, <laughs> we normally have this. We normally have a question for people that when we when we interview breweries or pub owners and that sort of thing, we always have a question about uh, what's the strangest or funniest thing you've ever seen in a cool room. But um, I feel like for you guys, it's got to be what's the strangest or funniest thing you've ever seen at a gig, whether it's in a cool room or not.
3: <laughs> i got a really good one for this so <laughs> let me answer first <laughs> so uh, it actually is related to the last answer it was actually in our kl show that we did one year uh one year they had this big staircase they set up right at the front of the stage and for no apparent reason other than to watch audience members try to climb the stairs and have the security guards stop them but this one particular group of girls made it through the security and they're dancing on stage in front of our brass section and one of them steps backwards in her heels hits the fallback wedge of the trumpet player and falls backwards fully over all three of our brass players cleans up all their mic stands all their instruments and everything and then gets back up off stage and then we, we actually were recording the gig and so we got to play back the audio of that section and through the mics that um she knocked over you could hear her as she knocked them over she's like i just don't know why those things were there in the first place like it should be clear for us <laughs> we were Like what you got on our stage, you fell over it, and then blamed the stage. <laughs> oh,
4: <I'm fine>.
1: Ooh. <laughs> um, I'd like to think that no one in hospitality has an equivalent kind of story, but yeah, they're out there. Don't worry about that.
2: <laughs> I'm trying to think of the strangest thing I've found in a band room. Um... I think it
0: was. You must have a strange backstage story somewhere, Sam. Too. Oh, this, you know, or a,
2: or a someone else's strange writer. It's about well, that's that's what one's, one I like was when we're playing at Crown Palladium as a duo, I think, Russ and I, and we walked into our dressing room and obviously John Farnham had just been in there and he'd left his, his set list that's and right. like some stuff on the counter. So because he left his set list there, Russ and I were like, we're taking that, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he took his set list and just hung out in his room, just you know, just with his general scent in the air. And I was like, "Yeah, this is cool." That's why I was going to ask if if you knew that was what that was his room. Gee, this room smells like farming. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was in there. He was in there. <laughs> or at least I'm going to claim he was,
0: and we'll never know. <laughs> do you um? Do you still have the set list somewhere?
2: Yes, we do. Actually, I do. It, I just, I, let me just have a guess. Does he close out with um, "You're the Voice"? Yeah, you know what, it, it was. But then he then there was an encore of I think it was "Help" or you know that when he covered the Beatles "Help Me If You Can," I'm feeling. It was like a it was a bit of an interesting song. He was doing ending with the voice, and then an encore was like this slower ballad. But I need to get this set list from back in Melbourne, so I'll get back to you with all due respect to him, you know, you, you can't have too many belters in a
1: row. Just, you know, you don't want to have to do the sort of the, you know, the Angus young type go for the oxygen tank out the back in between songs type of thing. So that
3: sounds like Darrell right when we supported him at crown, uh, he sang horses to end the set and he would have sang the last chorus dozen times at least <laughs> try talk about milking it.
2: Yeah. It was just- is, the,
1: is the story about horses true that he gets paid per time that he plays horses. So if he plays it, you know, if he opens and closes with it, he gets paid twice. Uh,
3: <laughs> I have no idea. We'll yeah. have to ask him next time we see him. We, ask
0: um, him next we, we actually uh in in a previous job I was in, we actually tried to get um Dara Braithwaite to perform at a Telstra gig a couple of years ago. And the price right. that he was charging was like astronomical and I was only for about 15 minutes. And it got to a point where not even Telstra could justify spending that sort of money on a 15 minute set
3: because um... he plays horses for 15 minutes so at that yeah. point it is just one song
1: you're paying for isn't it? <laughs> it's it's per chorus perhaps you know it's just a flat, <laughs> a flat fee of five grand for him to walk on stage and then for every chorus of horses you know it's another k on so. it's a nice little way to do business if you can get away with it for sure. is that what you guys aspire to for, you know having you know that capacity to, to charge per chorus or what brings you into the industry and what keeps you going in it after that initial? almost rivalry that you know of grade six you know dissipated
3: <laughs> well i'd love to be able to charge per chorus but i'd love to have 10 different songs that you can charge for the chorus of
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> maybe not you know, uh stick to the one song it'd be awesome if we had a bunch of hits but you know we've got a few years left to figure that out
0: that's it that's it and that kind of also brings us to i guess what you, you guys are doing at the moment in in lockdown I guess we'd still call it even though we're we've got a few restrictions lifted here in Melbourne and
2: we have some rights left
0: apparently we can have five people around at our house and if you do the math right it all works out nicely um yeah. so tell us a bit about uh your your lockdown sessions um up in Barmer and sort of how that all came about
2: well as soon as the pandemic hit um I think Russ and I you know everything was up in the air we were- really did overnight lose, we knew, like we hadn't had all the calls yet, but we, we gathered that, you know, we just lost 100% of our work for the next foreseeable future. Um, so in a way, um, we kind of just were in a little bit of a limbo, probably for a week. But then my girlfriend, Elise, who she has primary immunodeficiency, and so... She really can't afford to get the, the bug, the virus. and uh, we have a property um, up on up in Barma that my family own and um, we thought we'd just go away and isolate. And then that's kind of just how it started. But then of course um, what Russ and I we talked about doing some like doing a live stream and Russ had the van full of gear and um, what, then we kind of came down.
3: We'd, we'd planned about uh, doing a live stream for a fair bit longer than uh, just COVID-19, uh, which is why we were kind of set up with all the gear already because um, we'd bought it all and we'd been experimenting when we we're on tour, doing little 15-minute sessions here and there, and we got a fairly good response from them. So the plan was to continue to do that in 2020. Um, the thing that changed with, the, with COVID-19 for us, though, was the format. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were doing 15-minute format before that, thinking that we couldn't capture people's attention for really longer than that not realizing that this new kind of, it's basically a new format, two hour long form entertainment uh, streamed online, not realizing this would be a thing that would resonate with people. So so we were prepared for it, but I uh, didn't realize the impact uh, playing a longer set would really have.
0: Yeah, yeah, cool. And um, what sort of numbers are you getting these days? I know when it first started, you know, the numbers were increasing week by week. Is that still the case?
3: Yeah. I mean, it depends which number you base it on. Most people based it on the the views on the video, uh, which is on a pretty steady incline with a few weeks that hover around here and there. But what is on the very steady incline is the watch minutes, which is basically how engaged your users are at the moment. An average episode gets about 300,000 watch minutes, um, which translates to maybe a hundred thousand views. Yeah. It's gone. All right.
2: Yeah. We've been blown away. Um, with kind of I remember us when we first did our first you know episode number one I think even then we were like geez like 200 people tuned in like 300 people tuned in we're like that's incredible and then it just week on week it we were like oh something's happening here we're we're onto something we kind of knew nothing about so we had to quickly adapt yeah Yep. um too bright one second boys
1: Oh, we've lost one. <coughs>
0: Changing okay. his lighting. I can edit this out. <laughs> you know, I don't think he's in the video. <laughs> yeah. Um, so D- David, I feel like you were about to say something then. I'm not sure what it was, but um
1: Oh uh, no, you keep going, mate. You you keep going.
0: Oh marvelous. I don't know I don't know what it was either.
4: there you go it's
0: gone it's out in the ether now and it's it's all this bit so do you guys sort of have um an idea on on coming back to to gigs live gigs in venues we know that we're getting to a point now where um and and david will be able to agree on this in the sense that we'll be able to have have certain amount of people in venues and that sort of thing but have you guys sort of been keeping your ear to the ground on when things for you might actually shift and change?
3: Yeah, I mean, we we get whispers from the industry. Uh, Most of the venues where we play at are a little bigger than the uh, current restrictions will allow. And probably even the next round after that, um, because the nature of the venues are they're such a size that you need to have a certain capacity to make money from them. So if you have a hundred people in there, they just won't be profitable. So I think we're looking at maybe September, uh, at this point where we might be able to get back into some sort of regular uh, regular gigging schedule. But even then, we're not sure what will happen with our stream then. We're, we're planning a regional tour as well at some point. And it's hard to do when you can't be sure on dates of anything.
0: Yeah. Do you reckon you get to a point with you, because you, obviously the live stream's been going so well for you. Do you get to a point where, say, you're going to perform at the precinct on a Saturday night and they allow you to stream that live on Facebook?
3: Definitely in the works, ideas like that. Um, There's going to be a new new audience as well that are going to be interested in watching from a distance. Say, young parents, they're they're one category that we find a lot of our viewers come from that um, wouldn't normally go to a pub because they'd have to get a babysitter and do all sorts of other things. So it's a whole new demographic for these venues that they could potentially be uh, increasing their reach to.
0: There you go, David. You might need uh, some performers in your venue when you reopen in September, say, like...
1: It's exactly what you're talking about. There's exactly right, you know, trying to think of new and innovative ways, but, you know, also just that flexibility of you can't commit everything to reopening on June 1st or June 15th, whenever it might be in case, unfortunately, it's a second wave and you've just yep. spent all of your piggy bank on setting things up only to have to shut it down again. So, yeah,
2: definitely. Yeah. I, uh, second wave could really be the, yeah, the thing that, it was, I guess, halts or adds another month quite easily. Just another little wave that, oh, hang on, we'll just we're just going to wait one more month. But that one more month, I get you. You, you can't be like, oh, I thought I was going to go back, and now um, yeah. So, yeah. especially pubs and
3: festivals, been probably the last two things that uh, are on the agenda to reenact.
0: That's it. I've been going into the office two days a week and sitting in front of the computer, waiting for the phone to ring for someone to hire a stage, and it's um not happening definitely not happening it's uh <laughs> yeah there's not there's nothing out there and we're saying the same thing in the sense that like september is probably the key month on when things will shift um yep uh, our life in the office now consists of barbecues in the warehouse and beers on a wednesday afternoon. <laughs> doesn't sound too bad maybe <laughs> add that to the
3: permanent schedule <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, it actually, is. you're welcome to come around to my well. house
1: and do me a stage in the front yard so that I can taunt the neighbours and things like that. So, <laughs> yell over the fence.
0: Yeah, <laughs> just to keep your hand in. It's not, not as silly as it sounds, actually. It's, uh, that could work out pretty well. <laughs> so, and uh, you've I've had got a you, question um, about being on stage. Yeah. yeah um, See so what I did there? Yeah, you did. I wasn't sure what you were doing there, but you go for it. I was,
1: I was segwaying beautifully. Yeah. But I've, I've derailed my own segue. <laughs> oh think yeah. The quick question: Remember we were talking to another mate of ours, Matt Bradshaw, a couple of weeks ago about a similar thing. That you know, you obviously love being on stage, and everyone gets to see you up there having a great time, and you know, loving the music you're playing, and so forth. But I guess there's still an element that it's work for you guys, and so part of what we do on the podcast here is sort of bust some of those myths that every minute of owning a pub or every minute of being in a band is is great fun. Um, you know, what's it like having to do that for work, day in day out? You know, dragging your body out from under the doona when you've had a big one the night before, and still have to smile the next day. You're both beautiful
2: smiles, by the way. <laughs> I can see those right now. You want to go, Sammy? Uh, yeah, it's this. Uh, so before the pandemic, if you want to talk about that, um, it's and then the pandemic. We actually working. So physically I was a lot more exhausted. So I kind of get your point um, doing the biggest shows in front of big stages and tipping a few in and finding it really hard to not to get on the same level with everyone and within reason, like not getting hammered every time, but having a few then on a Sunday physically, I'd get a lot a ex- very exhausted and vocally I'd get fairly exhausted with the live stream the technical like now that with the pandemic I was saying to Sammy I feel like we're working more now in terms of hours than before the pandemic it was just like you knew your gigs you had your residencies you had your kind of schedule yeah we were starting to put in these other concepts and ideas that were really taking up a lot of time too like this skate adventure trip where we write originals around the world Um, but then I'd say um, yeah now it's just been it's been really, really tough. Honestly, I've had a fair bit of anxiety um, and like even a little hints of depression during working so much and not having a crowd there and not feeling that applause, that's tough. Um, Also the pressure
3: of a lot more responsibility because one thing about our shows before is while we were gigging on average, probably three nights a week. uh, We had a team of people that were helping us with that. We had audio engineers, lighting engineers, roadies, all this stuff and so now we're in the stream we find we're having to do all of that as well as the live broadcast part of it which is notoriously difficult i'm sure you guys would know about that part of it oh yeah Um, (laughs) Mm. notoriously difficult and things happen all the time that are out of your control and so it's like we're doing the job of a team as well which seems to be a lot more stress.
0: uh we can we can somewhat relate to that in relation to we've been doing the virtual meet the brewer podcast on thursday night and the the amount of hours i think and david you'll agree with this that have been going into that and then to try to coordinate 20 plus people on screen at the same time in a zoom chat yeah it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun
1: when, when my crappy old computer is not even letting me post on facebook today so that's sort of how you know old my technology is we we've spoken to a few people who are caught in this strange technology loop of you suddenly find yourself buying better microphones and then you know better little widget boxes and then better yep. computers in this constant cycle of upgrade. Yeah. Uh, I see
3: yeah.
2: we're
1: spending so much money on this.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just yep. not getting so much going back in at the
2: moment. <laughs>
1: That's right. It definitely
2: doesn't come back like it goes out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and-, and that audience interaction bit, again, we had some people from the wrestling world on the other day, you know, some of whom are still trying to do their, their thing, but without that audience response, not just the applause, but just that sort of, that feeling of being performing. Do you still get that when you're doing the gigs in the way that you are at the moment? I actually
3: like the, the live stream format looking down the barrel of a camera rather than having an audience. I know Sam has a different perspective, so I'll let him to speak after this, but I find it easier mainly because all I have to do is look in one spot and I get to look every person <laughs> in the eyes. <laughs> so that's such a much an easier thing for me. And granted, I do feel the lack of, you know, you play an awesome big end of a song and then there's just silence and crickets and that you know, that that will have an impact on your long-term, I guess, if, if we had to do it for a long time. But I feel like Sam might have felt that a bit more than me.
2: Yeah. Um. Yeah, just that, like, I know you are too, Russ, but just that That I'm so used to, because my background was music theatre and all I ever did was really perform to big crowds and uh, big audiences. And, like, that was my metric of, I guess, success even, like, even a bit e- egotistical, like, having that applause and having those eyes there I feel much more, uh, I was going to say vindicated, that's not right. Verified or, um, there's a better word validated, sorry. Um, I felt feel a lot more validated when I play at a venue. Whereas when I play down the barrel of the camera, it's funnily enough to more people and I see the reaction, but I don't feel the reaction. I can, I can look at the, look at the comments, but I don't feel the same way by reading or seeing the stats. And then the other thing too is um, I hear every mistake I do and mm. we're all trying to push ourselves um, by learning new material. And I would never in a music theatre show, usually when Sam and I play live, we're all about being really tight and really clean and polished. And we've had to take a back step on that for engagement's sake. And that's also been hard for my brain to be like, oh, you crap. Oh, you're stuffed up. But then you, you also realise no one cares other than yourself. <laughs> so. That's probably my take on it. And Are there has... songs that you've had to drop out of your repertoire just because they're audience
1: participation songs? I mean, is there any point in closing with Horses or You're the Voice, you know, if there's not a room full of people at the Garden State, you know, ready to sing along?
3: Well, we've still done them. funnily enough. Um, there's a couple of moments in a few songs where we do those exact throwouts. And we even got a video back on Instagram from one of our fans where we threw out to the fan and I had a video of them responding to that line.
4: And that was, that, that was epic.
3: <laughs> And so that that kind of thing makes me think each time we do it, there's somebody at home singing this line. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that there's silence in
2: our room. Yeah. And
0: <laughs> I've noticed, really- I noticed lately that with your Facebook streams, you're, you're quite often calling out to the crowd for requests and that sort of thing. How often are they requesting songs that you just don't know? Cool Less that-
2: and less now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like once we've gotten through, we got through like this big chunk, and what we realize that you know. Other than probably 5%, there's like a really random song that unfortunately I don't think we'll be able to learn because it's going to please 1% of people by going to that much effort. So like if you break it all down, within the first few weeks, we really got, you know, the, it was all this Jimmy Barnes and Paul Kelly and flame, like it was flame tree and it was how to make gravy. And then and fried. And fried. once we got on top of these really, I guess I, I would say a kind of more folk country songs that people really wanted us to learn that really resonate with, um, just the, the audience that we've built. Uh, it's kind of di- They're like, they're happy now. They, they sit back and they go, all right, boys, you've, you've learned the main ones. And now from here, it's just like a slow burn of uh, kind of little individual songs um, that yeah are slightly less requested. So we're chipping away at those ones now.
0: Nice.
1: Mm. I noticed that Matty Bradshaw in one of his ones live ones the other day, he had to stop playing and go and answer the door because someone had had a bottle of Sambuca hand delivered to his <laughs> uh, house at the time that he plays, oh, just as they would excellent. normally shout him a drink on a Sunday afternoon. Had one of those yet? Well, yeah, um, not in
3: exactly that uh, context, but we've had a couple of people call us and offer us beer. We had one guy drive three hours to drop us off about ten cases of beer and some stubby holders, that's and then
2: drive pretty, back. That's gross, and we still got them, and they're good. Like, yeah, yeah, really. Thanks, Wendy. Um, that's, that's that's quite epic. That's that's a good one. Were and, they VBs uh, or what? What are we talking here?
3: They were saying. Arnold's Pale Ale, what's the St. Honard's Brewery? Oh, Jesus, I should know this. I'm going to do a bad going to say, you know,
1: this is your opportunity for shout out on a shout-out on a craft beer, you know, podcast, so. Uh, I'm going to look it up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think Sam Ludeman's just ducked off the yeah, he's bridge. Got, to grab he's one. got a stubby holder.
2: St. Andrew's Brewery. There yeah, you go, St.
0: Andrew's Brewery. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That's I was having their IPAs and their Pale Ale's and they're delicious.
2: Excellent. We'll include them in the show notes. And then That's we've amazing. had, like, so we've had a bottle of uh, some other things was uh, a lovely lady named Carla Gilbert from and put together a mother's day hampers for um, Russell's mother, Wendy and my mother, Jane. Uh, we had a bottle of fireball, a slab of Corona's an offering of a big wood pile <laughs> to be done. That's a
1: very country thing.
2: One guy offered us a flame Harley Davidson that won the new Merca harley davison you know show if not we needed... to have <laughs> i was yeah, going to say was... That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to use in um a shoot or in the back of um our scene if we wanted and i thought that was awesome <laughs> that was my Should favorite take him <laughs> off, was like, right. <laughs> how many
1: harleys are there in your Mirka without just evolving into <laughs>
2: country talk for too long
1: <laughs> he's got the only one <laughs> he's, he's the one who hosts the competition but listen <laughs> <you> <laughs> it was rigged
0: yeah <laughs> And uh, a couple of weeks, Mother's Day weekend, uh, Russ, you had your mum as a uh, guest performer up there, yeah? Yeah, sure did. Yeah, how'd that work? How'd that, was it a good night? It was, um, I thought it would be
3: a great kind of tribute to Mother's Day to to bring her in. And uh, I know that for a while, she's been wanting to get recorded uh, to do one of the songs, uh, not necessarily on a live stream to 3,000 people live, um, but... (laughs) I through her in that deep end. <laughs> she was a bit paranoid about coming out there, and she knowing the your mother, or
0: I reckon she handled herself pretty well.
3: <laughs> well, she definitely did, and she's she's her own worst critic though, and we're, was obviously criticising her performance afterwards. But then I was like, Mum, look at the crowd. Look at the look at the messages you're getting. It's all so positive. They love you, and they're still even messaging us this week saying, "Millsy was great on your stream, but can next week you bring your mum back?" <laughs>
2: uh, whoa! All right. And, uh... <laughs> Did you, you the shots to Milty? or <laughs> <laughs> they won't let me. No,
1: no. <laughs> now, you, you've done a bit of name dropping already there but what other names can you can you drop into the conversation We'll put it out the bucket so we can hear each of them as they they drop in the bucket. which other big names have you performed with that our listeners would know and um obviously any amusing little side tales about international heiresses and things like that won't be mentioned um, yeah, I'll, I'll never hear i've it. got a
3: good story about leo sayer and while well, sam can think of one.
1: Oh yeah um, i'm up for this
3: so so we shared a gig with leo sayer in geelong one night um funnily enough with milsey as well that night uh, he was playing with us and leo sayer came up introduced himself and he was like g'day boys and we're like hi i'm sam hi i'm sam and that's kind of like a running joke when you introduce yourself both as sam There's always some joke that the other person makes and Normally it's something like, "Oh, your brothers," or something like that, and we fake a laugh. Um, but with this one, he actually got me. He's like, "You're both named Sam." In our band, we had two two players, and they were both named Rob. We used to call one of them C U N T. I don't know. I don't know what uh, time slot you're in here, so I don't know if I can drop the C bomb.
1: <laughs> uh, it just wouldn't. Well, it's it's more the fact that it, that he did that I find spectacular. He just doesn't strike. Do I have to have just mistaken what kind of man Leo Sayer is? Well, I think he's a legend
3: for uh, reading his crowd because we're the perfect people to say that to. Yeah.
2: Um, but then just some other names, like we kind of supported in many ways, um, John Stevens, The Veronicas, Daryl Braithwaite, Thirsty Merck, Olivia Newton-John, just to name a few. So there's a few names for the bucket. Um,
3: <laughs> Drop them in there.
2: Yeah, there's. I, I love um, Thirsty Merck, so Ray Thistlethwaite I, as a musician, as a bloke. We got to meet him get a photo with him and I was fangirling. Um I think he's a really red <laughs> dude. And really um just a good just a good good musician and a good person and love his songs and love meeting him.
0: And I, how much You'll like this, David. I met uh, Ray Thistlewaite and I can never say his name properly. Um clearly at a <laughs> at a certain little pub we like to frequent in uh North Melbourne once. And, Is that uh, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I was extremely drunk and we had a good old chat. And... <laughs> that, that story all fits together, I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs>
1: how much um, how much swearing did Olivia Newton-John do? I mean, she must be able to work bluer than Leo Sayer. You
2: know? <laughs> I don't, she didn't drop any C-bombs. I was on stage with her actually in a musical Xanadu as well. And she's just... She's the most sweetest person. I, I can't imagine her dropping any Leo bombs. <laughs> As they will now be known in the
0: industry. Yeah. <laughs> so have you got any, uh, any other guests lined up over the next few weeks?
1: Well, we w- we'd like to
3: try to get some people in. Um, the issue is we actually are broadcasting from Sam's family property, three hours out of Melbourne. Melbourne, yeah. Uh, so it's a bit hard to get people to commit to it. I guess you kind of got to be fairly close with them. You know to for them to make that drive and then want to stay out there for the night and stuff so we've got a couple of ideas but no one that we can really announce yet really yes, do we do we sam
2: nah not, no one we can announce unfortunately um, but we're, we're working on some ideas and just constantly evolving we're also
3: sorry okay. we're also working on a, a melbourne space uh to get some more acts in because it's going to be a fair bit easier to get somebody into the studio if it's a 20 minute drive
0: yeah that makes sense yeah yeah, is a lovely location, but uh, being three hours outside of Melbourne, I'm. it would be a, tr- a tricky situation, I guess. And,
1: you could yeah.
2: offer to dink them up there on a Harley. You know, that might get, <laughs>
0: get- Finally,
1: contact our mate.
3: Get in to- <laughs> do it for us.
2: You can be our, our, our gopher. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> and sort of, you know, back to being in lockdown and Covid and all that sort of stuff you know what are you um yeah you know, obviously we'll get to a point where, where pubs and that as we've touched on we'll be able, able to reopen you'll be able to do gigs there again do you mm-hmm. see it really shifting the the industry you you guys are in going forward you know in five years time do you see gigging the same as you had it the previous five years or do you see that this is going to have some sort of impact on the on the industry as a whole and you know, even just pubs and venues as a whole
3: I think it will have a totally lasting effect uh, throughout our industry. I think that uh, the major things we'll see is a lot more focus on local talent. I think uh, just because of travel restrictions, people will discover the the body of talent that we have in Australia here and untapped talent even. And I think it, there'll be a lot more local bookings. Um, I think that live streaming, there'll be a, a bit more of a focus on as a marketing tool for venues. Now um, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a bit of a challenge to get people in straight away, but yeah, I don't know, maybe after a vaccine, it might change and and head back a bit more standard, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. What about you, Sam?
2: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to significantly change at least the way we work. Um, I think I have this feeling that we're going to continue doing the live streams and finding some, just cause we like the tech stuff so much. So maybe it's not for every musician, um, and you know, you have to have the gear and you have to kind of, with Russ, he knows how to use it all. I pretended, I pretended to, pretend to <laughs> set up for this.
3: I uh, pretended no too,
2: mate. Yeah. Good. But, uh, <laughs> I, I think for us it, it, specifically, I think this is a new, a new, a, you know, shed some new light in an area that we hadn't looked before. And I think we're going to go down it a bit deeper and I think we hopefully can innovate some, something that kind of comes out of it. That is maybe other musicians go, Oh, those boys are doing that. I'll do that live thing too. Or I'll, we, it'd be nice to kind of pioneer something. Like I think that.
3: the big, big winners in it will be the uh, production companies that specialize in, in live. I think that'll be a big thing after this for venues to so bring in a crew. Basically. I think it's, uh, these live streams have exposed a lot of, a lot of technical, uh, Improficiencies, even if that's the word you know areas where people weren't so strong before and that's where a good production company could come in and really set the scene for that
0: yeah and there's um yeah there's a few out there already that are attempting to to lay the groundwork on that sort of thing and yeah, and try to sort of make, make it happen you've obviously been sitting around as well no doubt watching the um the the endless supply of of uh artists producing isolation videos of songs whether they're in different locations or you know different countries even even in some cases um do, do you have something that sticks in your head most of the time i'm drinking a beer when i'm watching them and there's like half a dozen that stick in my head but then when i go back and rewatch them when i'm sober some of them not as great as when i was drunk
3: <laughs> uh, i reckon there's definitely a couple of winners um what are the winners? I, I noticed Crowded House seem to be doing something. It's not necessarily as, uh, live, uh, but it's, it's pre-recorded with them they're all in different locations doing a, a collaborative kind of piece. And I've really enjoyed their their broadcasts. Um, what else? You, do you have any, Sam?
2: No, I think in terms of live, unfortunately, I haven't really seen any good ones. Not to just gloat or put, pat myself on the back, but it's just like they can't, it's not super enjoyable generally um, to watch or listen to, and I end up switching it off um, even when it is good mates. But I'm saying that there's like my mate Andrew, Lo- oh, our mate, Andrew Lodesman, um, he, he does a great one, but it's like because I, I really like him. But I've struggled to find some um, good quality live, like literally live ones um, that I stick to.
3: And it's not necessarily for the the lack of uh, talent from the entertainer, right? It's it's mainly just the, the picture and the audio, the thing that isn't traditionally a skill that musicians would have necessarily needed to pick up that yeah. uh, they have su- suddenly been thrown onto them and they, they don't know how to handle it. So mm. I guess I think maybe in time we'll see that improve, probably.
0: Surely, David will be able to attest to this. The previous uh, person we had on one of our podcasts a few weeks ago, Matt Bradshaw, he's been doing live stream gigs as well. Um He's a a good mate of David's. And one of the things he spoke about was that he was almost a technophobe. He, he had to learn how to put this live stream stuff out there. Didn't he? Um, it took him a, it took him a while before he sort of hit the ground running. Didn't you, David?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just a tricky, it's exactly what you guys are describing there. It's just a tricky thing to do. And you know, but no one's been expert in these things. Even, you know, I would look at people like you guys and go, Oh, you use microphones all the time you must understand this entirely but it's a completely different beast when you bring in all the other bits of technology
0: that sit in between the yeah. microphone and the listener totally uh, so we'll uh we're we're almost sort of winding things up but one one last question which i think we i think everyone wants to sort of have an answer to this question uh where do you guys go for a drink when all this is done and dusted where when you make your way back to melbourne and you can actually go out to a venue and have a have a beer where do you go well
3: my first venue is going to be the barma pub uh, that's going to be before we go back to melbourne before you that's get back to melbourne a, yep yeah that's totally going to be it cheers to, to the town for uh, helping us out and when paint I get a picture
1: back... of that for us we've got we've got international listeners in all honest you know people you know listening from england or the us and yep. you know give us a explain to us what the what the barma pub is looks like and perhaps next time you're going in you're going in for that special beer, shoot us a photo so that we can put it up and help people get in their heads what it looks like
3: for sure we'll, we'll shoot you through a photo um Barmer's a, a town about three hours north of melbourne it's what population of a few hundred and it's a pretty small little riverside town uh that has a little pub there and the pub has a excellent looking country pub front bar that you can sit in and have a pot and enjoy yourself and i can't wait to be able to do that again and that's the closest pub to us where we're broadcasting from so when we're allowed we'll head straight there yeah good answer
0: which was kind of my my answer when you asked me that question on uh, i think when we were talking about bradshaw david where would you go yeah. And I kind of, my answer was always, well, whatever pub I'm closest to at the time, like doesn't matter <laughs> where it is. If there's a pub across that's, the road, That's your
1: default answer any day of the week. Uh, there, <laughs> you? you want to go for a, for a beer trivia? Yeah. Where would you like to go? Wherever I'm closest to. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's probably true. <laughs> and I'll be at my answer as well. What about you, to- you, Sam? I'll be heading to the Albion. Um, after we, I'm sure I'll be at the Barma pub with the brass. And we'll, we'll definitely buy half a, half a keg there. And then, um, oh, yeah, but then the LB, I look forward to those Sundays that used to be like, that's, you know, Sunday night is our Friday night for, you know, yep. yeah. people nine to five. And so I'll be really looking to just tie one on there and just have a chill and catch up with everyone and uh, tip a few in.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Good stuff. Mm.
1: Well, guys, you've promised a whole lot of bits and pieces there, and hinted at some exciting new guests that you know might be joining you on on your shows. For those people who weren't smart enough to write down your social medias right at the very beginning, who are now far more excited about doing so, wh- remind us where we can find you.
3: So you can find us on Facebook and Instagram uh, with Sam Sam But Different Band, and on YouTube it's YouTube.com/sam-sam-but-different.
1: And what time of the day and week should we be making a particular effort to be finding ourselves in those places?
2: Be tuned in from Friday and Saturday from six till eight. We'll Brilliant. make
1: sure that yeah, we'll make sure that we remind our listeners via our social medias of that as well so that they they don't miss out on those. And um all the way from Barma, thank you boys for coming down and joining us today. No, thanks. Morris, thanks for having us.
0: Thanks, fellas. It's much appreciated. I hope uh Hope we see you again in the flesh pretty soon. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening, Core rumors As mentioned in the intro to this episode, we have a little treat to lead us into the Nomad and Ale Farm virtual Meet the Brewer on Thursday, the 21st of March 2020. Brewmaster Joel Shield from Rogue Ales discusses the up Brown and One Brew Nation's Wattle Sea Brown, which are both in the Meet the Brewer beer packs for this event. Make sure you join us for this event if listening before then, or keep an eye out on the socials for events over the next few weeks. Big thanks to Joel for taking the time out of his day to record this discussion for us. Now, on to Joel.
4: Hey everyone, this is uh, Joel Shields, brewmaster at Rogue Ales. Um, here to talk one Brew Nation collab uh, we did with Nomad Brewing. I'm also here to talk a little bit about Hazelnut Brown and Newport Days and then got a few extra questions here at the end after we talk about the beer so uh... start off we're going to talk about one brew nation so this is a beer we did with Nomad uh... that sort of uh... after talking with them they were wanting something uh... for the fall time so we uh... sort of fell into a brown which we have uh... the world class uh... hazelnut brown and wanted to use some uh... indigenous ingredients so we went with uh... uh... wattle seed which is uh has some similarities to hazelnuts it is a little nutty a little bit of coffee notes so uh went with some of that and uh so yeah really looking forward uh forward to the the one brew nation it's uh should be pretty good stuff unfortunately with everything going on i have not had a chance to try it yet but uh um it should be somewhat similar to hazelnut brown and uh with maybe a little bit uh a little more coffee notes to it um and then uh, just to uh, talk a little bit about our hazelnut. So, our hazelnut, uh, the original recipe was from uh, one of John Meyer's uh, best friends, a homebrew out of Eugene. And uh, so, we've been making that one for a lot of years, and it's been our, in our top three uh, for a long time of uh, sales. And uh, so, it's a, it's a really, really good beer. Um, then, the last one I'm going to talk about is Newport Days, which I got right here to, to try out. Um, this one is perfect for summertime it's got sabro hops and mosaic so Mosaic's one that's in a lot of beers uh, lately and then uh, so it's it sort of uh, reminiscent of some other IPAs but also has a sabro which is a very very unique hop uh, sabro has got a little bit of a coconut flavor to it so it's uh, perfect for sipping on the beach it makes you feel like you're, you're on the beach even if you're not so cheers All right, and then I uh, <clears throat> also have a few questions they that, uh, that got to answer here. So, where and when did you have your first uh, drink that you really uh, remember enjoying? So, my first uh, first beer that I really remember enjoying is Henry Weinhard's Bluebird Pale Ale. I don't see it around much anymore. I don't know if they make it anymore, but it's like one of the first quasi-craft beers, I guess you could call it. Uh, Henry Weinhard's was uh, big up here in the Northwest for a long time. Um, So that was one of my favorites. Nice, easy drinking. Pale Ale uh, was a lot more flavorful than a lot of the other stuff that I had drinking previously, like uh, Bush and all those PBR and those type of of beers. Um, uh, Next question was uh, when did you have your first craft beer? And exact year, don't know for sure, but I think it was probably around 2003 at a place called Eagle's Pub. In Cheney, Washington, where I went to college, so Eagles Pub was just like a local watering hole for the college temp, for the college kids, and uh, there's a a great brewery called uh, at the time it was called no Lie, or Northern Lights. Now it's called No Noli, and they made a special pale ale just for the pub, and that was one of my f- first craft beers that I remember having and liking a lot. Um, next question was, what is your favorite Melbourne pub or bar so luckily I did to spend a good portion of time in Melbourne when I was down there and uh, was sort of near the Chinatown district so went to several different places but the most memorable I guess and it did have a decent selection of craft beer too um, but it was section 8. Um, it was just a cool atmosphere, welcoming, just felt very chill um, reminded me of being in portland a little bit is why why i liked a lot i guess um my favorite uh place to drink overseas that i found was a place just outside of munich germany called kolster Ondex. so it was like a 45 minute hour ride on a train outside of munich out of the the city center and it was up near a lake up on a hill it was just a beautiful setting great great german lagers and hefeweizens and great german food and it was just uh just a cool place to hang out and and have a beer it was just a most memorable place i think I've, i've been so far so um i think that does it does it for today and uh thanks for uh listening and watching and uh hope you guys all have a have a great time cheers